I'm super happy. Are you happy? Welcome to the BU Find Happy Podcast. Here you'll find tips and tricks to inspire you on your way to happiness, to live a courageous life of authenticity, and learn how to speak your truth with grace. I'm Michaela Johnson, and welcome to our podcast. Thank you for tuning into this podcast. If you are new here, you will find all things fun, hippie, woo-woo, and metaphysical, plus happiness. I just can't tell you enough how much I appreciate you tuning into the show every week, and I try to bring you the most fabulous guests imaginable. If you are craving more happiness after listening to this podcast, check out BUFindHappy.com, where you'll find all sorts of tangible tools, tips, tricks, and resources to incorporate more happiness in your life. Learn to speak your truth with grace and live a courageous life of authenticity. And remember, if you like this podcast, please click subscribe. Good morning, Sid. Welcome to the BU Find Happy podcast. So excited to have you on today. I'm happy to be here. Thanks for having me on. You've got so much cool stuff uh, that you're that you're doing that you're that you're working on in your life. A writer, a nutritionist, a podcaster, a YouTuber. I mean, you just got all this stuff going on with your small steps philosophy. Can you share a little bit with the listeners how you kind of got into this realm of life? Yeah, it was a weird turn of events. I had no plans on doing anything even related to this at all. In the beginning, I graduated from college with a degree in philosophy of all things. And I always joked that it prepared me perfectly for what I was trying to do, which was to be an indie rock musician. And so I was um, in Los Angeles playing gigs at night and um, had a you know day job kind of thing. Um, I was handed a book in 1992 that I read on diet, having no interest, I didn't think. And I made a slight dietary change and my asthma went away for the first time in 22, 22, 23 years at that time. And it started, even though I didn't change my profession, I still played music for many years after that and became a full-time actor and did some other things. But I started to read nutrition book after nutrition book because it was so fascinating to me that I was able to make, you know, get off all prescription drugs and have no asthma. And as a singer, that was kind of nice too. And and um, so just continued on that track until I decided to move out of LA. My wife and I had kind of had our time there and we we're like, we got to get out of here. And so we moved up to this little town uh, that we live in now called Mendocino. And I I'm just... very familiar. By oh, the you way. are? I, I'm, a, I'm your neighbor. So oh, where I'm are you? actually um, over in the Sierra Nevadas. Um, okay. Definitely. Here, but but I, uh, I'm a San Jose State alum. And so romped around, um, you know, all the coastline there for many, many years. Well, that's cool. Most people don't know where I am. They're like, Mendocino. I did a recent uh, interview and the guy said, and the Encino Coast? I don't know what that is. I was like, no, it's def- definitely not the Encino Coast. This is a totally different coast. <laughs> Anyways, I really but- love Little River, too. It's just oh, a hidden gem. A lot of people don't know about it. I know. Well, I actually run the wellness center at the Stanford Inn and Resort, which is on the Big River, just like two oh, minutes wow. two minutes oh, north of Little happens. River. And Yeah, so that's that's where my, I, I, you know, I have, I, I've been working there for 15 years. I'm with uh, Joan and Jeff Stanford. But uh, yeah, and so anyway, long story short, I came up here we we did a full reset and i was thinking about my life and things i wanted to do and i realized i was it's just such a such a thing i'm passionate about and so i went back to school and became a certified nutritionist um the small steps came out of an initial failure frankly and frustration with the fact that people weren't sticking to my recommendations very long you know a month or two tops and then they'd go back to their old ways and i 
realized quickly that um, my handing them a plan wasn't providing them the tools to establish long-term healthy habits. And so that was the inspiration for my, my current small steps approach um, for all three of my books. Um, it was a, it was cracking the nut of how do I equip people with tools to continue with habits long enough to actually see the real benefits that you get from healthy, you know, some whatever behaviors they are running or exercising or eating well or meditating or whatever, how do you implement? And so my work has really shifted to almost entirely about habit change, um, habit, you know, healthy behaviors, um, and in many ways, a, away from nutrition, I can sort of teach people everything that they need to know about nutrition in a very short time, but then it's all focused on how to get that done as far as incorporating it into your life for real. So one of the things that you kind of focus on is like, there's no quick fix. And I totally agree with you on that. Can you, could you share a little bit about your beliefs on that? Yeah, I think, well, I, so I'll, I'll define my own small steps approach this way because it's a, it's a often misconceived or that people misunderstand about my approach. I'm not about breaking things down into a fixed size in the world. In other words, if I want, if I'm trying to help somebody start to exercise, I don't say, okay, we start with two minutes. What I do say is I want them, I call the, my core strategy is called awareness-based habit change. And what it means is that they are involved in the process. They are involved in how much and how little they do at any given time to maintain a proper and effective level of stress. So in other words, not too little stress and not too much. So it, it, they are involved in that process. The reason why quick fixes don't work, why diets almost 100% don't work, same with DVD fitness plans, people do them for a short time, even working with a personal trainer. I'm all in, I go all in, and then all of a sudden, two months later, they're, they're stopped. It's too much too soon. So what I'm training people to do is not just break things, something down into two minutes, but to ask them themselves this question, what can I do starting today that isn't going to cause me too much stress or isn't going to make me feel too stagnant? What is that sweet spot of just enough where I'm not dreading the activity? If it's meditation and I read a book that said 45 minutes is great. Well, for me, given my schedule and my current life, maybe I'll start with five minutes and maybe that doesn't deliver me what 45 minutes will but if it starts me going where I'm doing it most days, then eventually I'll grow that step and it might even reach 45 minutes. But in the very least, I've created a habit that I can stick to and then I see the results of that. So it's a very much a, an engaged in your life activity. I'm not handing somebody a plan that says two minutes of this and one minute of that because that's just another diet. What I am doing is helping them engage in their own lives so that they don't need me long term. They can actually ask those questions about and actually be aware of when they're heading to burnout, when they're heading to overwhelm. Almost 100% of my clients and people I've worked with and spoken to are always in a state of overwhelm. We have a very stressful life in this modern world. It's a very weird world that we've created, um, and we're at a kind of a higher level of stress day-to-day -day than we're adapted to. And any kind of spike above that sets us into overwhelm super fast. And so what I'm trying to do is help people back that down again so they can actually establish habits long-term. Um. You know, as you were talking, one of the things that I was thinking about is that when I do work with people on accomplishing um, their goals and dreams, that's exactly what we do is we break it down to very simple, tangible items. So, you know, we um, we don't we take this big kind of pie in the sky and just take a little bite out of it for today. You know, <laughs> like we're going to focus on this one little tiny actionable component that we can actually achieve. And then you get that sense of success and accomplishment and it motivates you to continue forward. I think when people kind of get stuck is when they try to bite off too much. And, um, 
And then it just feels like, wow, I'm never going to be able to achieve anything. Right. You know? Yeah. Well, and, and, and I completely agree, obviously, but the, the, the hitch is that when it comes to things like, let's say weight loss, cause a lot of clients, you know, people come to me cause they want to, they know I'm a nutritionist and they want to in theory, you know, hit a healthy weight. Um, I always ask right away, like, do you want to hit the healthy weight and then gain it everything back? Or do you want to stick with it? Because if you want to stick with it being at a healthy weight, that's a long-term prospect. If you just want to hit the scale weight, then go to do a diet, but I ain't going to be your guy for that, you know? Um, but the hitch is that people want results. They are sold, uh, you know, look at the media, look at people magazine before and after shots. That's, that's, that works in this sense. It sells programs, but it doesn't work in terms of creating, you know, giving somebody the tools, but that's what they want. And when you start somebody small on, let's say, diet, and I'm not kidding when I tell you I've started a client one time off one stock of celery per day because for two reasons. One, she had had 50 years of eating junk food basically all day. Two, had already done 50 yo-yo diets where she did eat the so-called perfect whatever it was in that diet book and then burnt out. So for me to go, hey, listen, stop eating junk food, that's ridiculous. She knows that. The problem is is that not that she doesn't know, it's she can't get it done. So I started her with one stock of celery. But the problem with that is she, most people would go, well, that doesn't do anything. And they're right nutritionally or they're right with weight loss. It's not going to get her to a healthy weight. It's not going to do anything substantial nutritionally. But that's not my goal in the beginning. My goal in the beginning is to establish an identity change and a, and a, and a behavior establishment. If she can say what she did, this one particular client, I asked her three weeks later, I'm like, do you eat healthy food every day? She goes, yes, for the first time in 50 years, she was able to answer that question. Yes. Is it enough? Not yet to get to the healthy weight. Of course not. I'm not an idiot. But at the same time, it is enough to start establishing an identity shift where she can see that she has the power to do that. She has the power to put healthy food in her mouth every day. That's the starting point. Then you can grow from there. But what people want is they want, well, I'm going to do a 21-day diet because I'm going to lose 10 pounds. And I go, yes, but you're not going to keep it off. So if you want to keep it off, that's your goal. Your goal isn't a weight loss. Your goal is sustained healthy weight, if it is. And in which case, you've got to, you've got to go at it at a completely different way than you would a 21-day diet or whatever else. So, oh, I just totally lost my thought. <laughs> I think, I think what you were thinking was that is genius. No, I'm just kidding. I, I think I was still stuck on the single celery a day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Stock, so, single stock of celery. People make fun of me. They're like, oh, stock of celery. Because I always talk about that like in my own podcast and stuff. I go, stock of celery. And it's sort of, it's sort of emblematic of, of what people do. It's like this very childlike, like, but that doesn't do anything. And I go, it does. What we're, what they're comparing it to is some diet they read in some magazine or book that promises 15 pounds in 21 days. And it'll deliver, by the way. Most diets, if you stick with them, people try any number of diets will work. And the reason is because you're paying attention to food and previously you weren't. I don't care if you're doing the keto diet, paleo diet, Mediterranean diet. There's a thousands of them, as you know. Any diet that you do short term is going to yield changes because you go all in on it. But when you're actually talking about long-term health, there's not a lot of variation in diets that, that we, don't, we, don't, we don't have a lot of variation in our species. It's more about establishing healthy behaviors and habits long-term enough to actually yield a healthy body. That's long. It doesn't happen overnight. It doesn't even happen in 21 days. You can make certain gains in 21 days, but really being a healthy person identity-wise and action-wise is a long-term prospect. You got to be in it for the long haul, which means you can't, you know, be a kid about it. You got to be an adult and say, listen, I got to take my time on this. So it lasts. I, I totally agree. <clears throat> I really think that life is not a race. You know what I mean? It's not about getting to the finish line. It's about what you're learning as you go. 
And on that note, perfect segue, uh, you're an ultramarathoner. I, I, I know many ultramarathoners, especially living, um, you know, here by the Western states. Oh, yeah. So talk to me a little bit about that as a part of your process, your life, um, you know, the amount of gumption and mental prowess that it takes to do something like that. Well, you nailed it because it's it's 90%. If you met me in person and most people who would meet me would go, you're so not an ultra runner because I'm not like I'm not that guy. And this is what's interesting to me about myself in as being an ultra runner. It's completely fish out of water for me. It is not something I ever I was a recreational runner at best slow. I still I'm still slow, by the way. I'm I'm not a an elite runner at all. (laughs) But it was but it was an interesting foray for me to get into it. It was a challenge. I was eating, you know, a lot better and I could, I was feeling really good. I was recovering a lot faster. So I thought, well, let me, you know, up my mileage and see what, like, I've never done a marathon. Let me see. So at 45 years old, I was like, I'll try a marathon. And I kind of liked it. I did it fine. I got through it fine, but I didn't love it. Just the idea. I just didn't love it and running on roads. And just by chance, I was, I read a book and it talked about trail running. And I thought, trail running. And so I got out on a trail and I was like, hello, this is my thing. And so I started looking into, you know, ultra running. What is that trail running? What is that? And so the next year I ran a 50 miler. Actually, I ran a 50K, uh, which is 31.4 miles or so. And then I ran a 50 miler um, a couple years after. And I, and I actually ended up launching my own race, which I've um, directed for, well, it'll be in its fifth year. I had to cancel because of COVID, but it'll, the next race will be in its 50th, uh, fifth year. Anyways, and um, it was a, a really interesting, I've used it as an analogy to the work I do. Um, it's not about winning. It's about, uh, you know, there's a lot going on there, a lot going on with ultra running, the mental side of thing. It is taking yourself, people go, it's like, you're just abusing yourself. It's like, no, it's really not about that. You, but you are testing yourself. You're putting yourself into a situation where in a way you're hitting bottom. Um, and then you get to get out of it and you see what that's like. And I think that that's to me, um, breaking people out of sort of this expectation of comfort that we have in the modern world and also the reality of comfort that we have in the modern world where the slightest bit of discomfort, we, we have a something to fix it. If we're a little cold, we turn the heat on. A little hot, we turn the air conditioning on. If we have a little bit of headache, we throw a Tylenol in. Um, and it's not serving us well. I think when we when we can sort of test our mettle now and then, um, not in like a type A kind of thing, but you know, just now and then like putting yourself in a situation where you kind of see what you got it's a it's a pretty pretty incredible experience. I think I, I often have said this actually on this podcast. I think that like being in life or death a little bit now and again, or at least the perceived life or death scenario, is really good for the soul. Like I really think it actually helps you build your resiliency and your grit and confidence and just all sorts of stuff. And like if it's a true life or death scenario, it can even be like a wow, I am not meant to go yet. <laughs> yeah. I've got stuff to do, you know? Yeah. Well, every race I, when I trained for in the, in the initial, my first race, of course, is the hardest because you've never done one. So you have no idea if you can do it. Right. And that's the, and I always say like showing up to the starting line is 99%. Like if you show up to that starting line, you've already won, won the day. Cause it's, it's, it's a lot of nerves and a lot of anxiety. And I think people sometimes perceive ultra runners are like, Oh, they're gluttons for punishment. It's, it really is not that. It's really deeper. It's like you said. It's like putting yourself in an intentional kind of perceived very difficult situation. But everybody was like, oh, okay, you're going to want to quit at some point. And I kept thinking, well, I don't – I mean that can't be because everyone finishes. I'm sure you sort of think you want to quit. I'm telling you, you actually want to quit. And that – it's a weird thing. You, right now you would go, like, okay, but if I feel that way, I'll, I'll be able to push through. You actually want to quit. There's a moment – 
in many races, probably not for everybody, but definitely for me in a couple of the ones I've done where I, I actually wanted to quit. I, I actually in the moment was like, I am freaking done. And for whatever reason, I kept going. And that's the moment I think that people, whether you're an ultra runner or whatever test that somebody puts the, themselves in is that moment that you want to find. What is that moment? What do you do in that moment? And sometimes you succeed and sometimes you fail, by the way. But when you get yourself there, what is that spark? And I think when we get in touch with that, um, it can be life-altering in a way that uh, feeds into your day-to-day, back-into-the-world kind of living. You know, worst days, you're like, yeah, but I've done 50 miles. <laughs> you know, like this well, isn't Well, I'll t- yeah, yeah, no, I'll tell you. I've, I ran a marathon twice. Um, once I trained for it, never and then never crossed the start line. Um, and the second time I crossed the start line and finished the start line. And uh, for me, it was like at like 17.2 or something like that. And I distinctly recall feeling like, nah, I'm done. I'm yep. going to go get a mimosa. Yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. Um, and pushing through that was like, literally felt like I was towing a herd of cows or something. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I mean, it was, I was like, felt impossible. But when I was done, it, it was just glorious. And funny thing is I told myself if I didn't finish within five hours that I would do, that I would have to do it again. finish line 459 and 59 seconds. That's so good. I mean, so that just shows like the power of the mind. I mean, literally there must've been a point in which I freaking kicked it into high gear. Like yeah, yeah, I'm yeah. not yeah. doing this again. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And I remember in, in my 50 miler, um, I, I, it was a rough day. I mean, it was a, I start at the starting line. I was like, I don't want to be here right now. That is not a good day for when you're going to be running for 11 hours and whatever time it took me. Um, and so I didn't want to be there after about seven miles. I was starting to feel nauseous. I mean, it was just one of those days that like nothing was working out. And, and I said to myself, I said, look, if I have any physical issue, I'm going to drop. Like if my knee starts hurting, if my foot starts hurting, if my anything is uncomfortable physically, I'm out of here. And nothing went wrong. It was the worst. Like I kept going, can you just can you just knee, can you just start hurting a little bit so I can get out of here? And it wouldn't, it wouldn't do it. My body was fine. And it was just a completely a mental thing. I mean, it was hard to do physically, obviously, but I had no pain. I had no like acute kind of thing that would make me want to drop from that race. And I remember just in a way, especially at mile like 30, 35, hoping something would go drastically wrong. So I would have an excuse to bow out, you know, and, uh, and it didn't happen. And I'm glad it didn't happen. Cause again, the, the word you chose is right on the money. Glorious. Like you cross that finish line and it's like, uh, it's a, it's a, I want to get it's it gets it definitely gets into the spiritual realm is what I will say. There's a certain thing that you take yourself to that level and come out of it that is um that is quite quite something. 
it, it really is. <clears throat> I like what you talk about to the spiritual level, because I, I really think that we just haven't even touched into this quite enough. Um, and, and maybe 2028 started to shift that for people. But, um, you know, I don't think we've really recognized the power of simply what our mind can do. I think we've kind of dumbed ourselves down in that way. I think we've really stripped that away. I was actually at a workshop for Theracane. I don't know if you've heard of that tool, but it's incredible. Mm-hmm. It's like a fascia um, okay. tool. And um, anyway, the guy said, you go to your physician for pain. Your physician is in the room maybe 19 minutes on average and solves ideal. your uh, yeah, yeah, ideal <laughs> and solves your problem. Really? Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. live with yourself your whole life. You live with this pain for how long before you even decide to go to the doctor and, and you're going to accept that you're going to accept. And when you put it like that, it's like, Whoa, how much are we not in tune to our own selves? You know, that we trust someone else just because they got a piece of paper. I mean, granted, doctors are amazing. I'm not just, I have a lot of great doctor friends, nurses, yeah. nurses in my family, the whole nine. Like I'm not discrediting, especially yeah. if you are in a car accident and have a broken, you know, severed hip or something. Yeah. But, but I do think we put a little too much power in what, um, what we are told rather than what we feel. Well, I think that's absolutely, yeah, well, I, absolutely. I think that's totally right. I think that, but I, I actually fully understand it. And here's what I mean by that. It is kind of nice to have somebody else tell you what to do and you just do it and you don't really have to think about it. It's it, it I I do see the draw of quick fixes cuz it's like look, can you just freaking tell me what to eat? I'm going to eat it and I want to get the result that you're promising me. I don't want to think about it. I don't want to because I'm busy. I have kids and I have work and I'm commuting and I'm reading the news, so I'm stressed about that and I'm on social media 18 hours a day, so I'm stressed. I just can you just tell me what to do? And so I I completely get the model of of the sort of Western medicine thing. Like I have a discomfort. Can you just give me a drug? I have two of my best friends, my wife and I best friends in LA are both pediatricians. And sometimes they have kids with asthma and they'll say, listen, there's a dietary component to this. You might be able to get some, you know, guidance and, and be able to make moves in terms of your child's asthma. If you make some dietary changes. And they said a fair amount of parents are like, can you just give me the pill? Give me the inhaler. I'm out of here. They don't want to because, and I get it. I do understand it because I don't agree with it, but I do understand it's like, look, I, on top of everything else in the stress of raising a family, I don't want to have to now make a dietary change and get into a battle with my kid. I understand it. The only hitch is that, of course, it doesn't deliver a healthy, happy life to hand over that kind of uh, control over to, to another practitioner. And so that's the only little hitch there. But I do get it. I do understand the draw of just like, can you just please just do this for me so I don't have to, on top of everything else, take this on? Exactly. Yeah, maybe that's what it really is, huh? Maybe it's like like we're giving it away almost. I think we are. I think we're giving giving it away and I, and and in my small steps coaching, one of my through lines is like you don't give yourself, you know, you have to get help. There's no doubt about it. And Western medicine's appropriate for some cases and and a nutritionist is appropriate for other cases and a chiropractor for, you know, whatever, whatever you do. But how much of your you, how much of your ethic, how much of your like you said your mind, your soul, whatever that is for you, how much are you handing over? Because you can get help but still be engaged in your own life in a way that um uses that help and then moves on and creates, you know, continues to 
evolve. But then there's other people who are just kind of victims to whatever you want me to do, I'll do. And they're the ones that would potentially be going from diet to diet. You know, they're looking for an answer. They're looking for a solution, but they're not engaged enough in their lives to realize that that model isn't going to deliver it. And, and, and that, that's why the pattern occurs of people who go, you know, diet after diet or a quick fix after a quick fix, because they're searching for some, it's, I've used the analogy of people who, you know, serial daters, you know, like they never get into a deep relationship. They just date one person. And then as soon as it gets any kind of heavy, they're moving on to the next. They're searching for something, but they don't have the kind of the wherewithal, the awareness to actually know what they're looking for is a deeper, a deeper relationship. They want the excitement and the feelings around it, but they're not willing to do the work to get to actually the deeper kind of existence about that. And I think you can. Can you, can you talk to me about that a little bit? Can you share with me what your perspective on a deep relationship looks like? What does that encompass for people who might be listening that are curious if they're in a surface or a deep relationship? Can you share that? Sure. I mean, I. I'm not a professional marriage counselor. I've been married 26 years and I have a successful marriage. And so I can speak to it a little bit. Um, I think that being a successful human being, um, if you want to say a perfect human being, would be to embody imperfection. So everybody wants to be perfect. I, I'm an all, I get this all the time. I'm, all or nothing, I'm a perfectionist. I go, well, let's think about what that means, actually. Because if you're a perfect human being, you're going to make mistakes because we're a flawed species. We, we're not robots. So likewise, with a marriage, it's it to me, it's to it's honesty, it's communication, it's understanding that you are, if you're in a long relationship and you do not argue, if you're living with somebody and you do not argue, something is, it just seems to me a little bit odd. So it is understanding the flaws in us. It's understanding, I'll, I'll put it this way, like my wife and I both have an ethic of self-care, which is that I love that she takes time away from the marriage to take care of herself. And I think she appreciates that in me, too. We the way we exercise, the way we do things that are outside of the marriage. Um, as a parent, I have three kids. I take a lot of substantial time to take care of myself so that I wrote a whole book on the subject called Raising Healthy Parents. The argument is taking care of yourself first. It's it's anti it's like counterintuitive to what we think. Well, I have to put myself on hold to take care of my children. You can't put yourself on hold. So likewise with a marriage, taking care of yourself, making yourself feel good personally so that you can bring that to the marriage. Um, I think that the idea of what I said before of somebody who, you know, dates somebody and breaks up, dates somebody, they're always dating somebody. They want that. Hit. They want to feel good. We all want to feel good. So at the point where it starts to get a little rough, they're out. Same thing can apply with a diet. Everyone goes all out into a diet. It's exciting. They lose weight very fast and everybody compliments them. Oh my God, you look amazing. What are you doing? That's the hit. That's the drug hit that you get. As soon as it becomes post that like well now i gotta maintain this i don't have the tools to do it and it's not that exciting anymore guess what they do they go back to the old familiar ways because it's less stressful than to push on through that um and so i think it's that same it can be applied to anything but i think it's that same basic foundation of somebody who is not able or trained or willing or you know capable at that point of doing the real work to get deeper and, and that goes for diet and exercise and everything else. And nobody, it's not anybody because they're stupid or don't have the ability. They do. It's just they may not have the training and they're really stressed because they're really busy. And so it's like we can take it a little bit easy and take our time with this. Um, I agree. I, I, I do agree. We can, we can take our time. And I think we don't. I think we get so busy. We just speed past all these important things. You wrote a book called Raising Healthy Parents. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Talk to me about that book. I love the title. 
Yeah, it's it's the rest of the title, Small Steps, Less Stress in a Thriving Family. Um, and the reason – sometimes it's misinterpreted as like somebody trying to make their parents healthier, but it, it's a it's a primer for parents. In other words, the message is instead of raising healthy children, it's you raise yourself first. And so, you know, when it, when that book came out um, a couple of years ago, three years ago, I don't even know when, but, um, you know, a couple of times I was asked, like, well, why, why do you have the credibility to write a parenting book? And I was like, this is not a parenting book. I'm not advising somebody how to communicate with their children. I did a fair amount of research on that front, however, in preparation for the book. But what I really realized what I was doing and, and the inspiration for the book is that I have clients that are parents. And what I realized is there was a there was a conflict between how they wanted and viewed themselves as ideal parents and their actions in the world. In other words, they were irritable around their kids, but that's in conflict with how they actually wanted to behave. And I had very personal experience with this that I that I talk about in the book, which is that's not who they were as a parent. So the question wasn't how to change them into another parent. The question for me is, can I help people become the parent they want to be. However you want to parent your kid, you do it better when your stress is maintained. You do it better when your overall health is increased. When you feel happier in your life, you will execute whatever method of parenting you want to to execute. I'm not there to step in and say, this is the best way to get your child to eat whatever. This is totally not interesting to me. However you want to parent your child, you've got to fix yourself first. You've got to raise yourself first. The more you do that, the better example you set for your child, first of all, and second of all, the better equipped you are to to implement that ideal for you. And it's basically an offshoot of my overall small steps approach. Who are you actually? And see where there's conflict in the world between who you are ideally and how you're behaving. If you're somebody ideally who lives as a healthy person, but you're eating junk food, it's not about turning yourself yourself into a new person. It's about how to reconcile that conflict, how to become more of you in the world each day and understanding that we can't hit perfection. We can try and that's a cool thing, but don't expect it and just do the best you can. And when you screw up, you just, you, you, you know, you lose it with your kid one day. That's not a reflection of you as a overall parent. You can then ask the question of like, well, why did I lose it that day? Well, I haven't been sleeping well. Okay. Well, let me tackle that problem. Well, I haven't been eating well. Okay, good. Let me tackle that problem. Those things are making me irritable. Those things are making me not behave with my child the way that I want to. And that was the, that's the book. That was the, that was the inspiration for the book. Wow. I think that's fabulous <laughs> and, and, and so much beautiful stuff going on. Um, talk to me a little bit about what you're doing there at Stanford with the Stanford program. What are you, what are you working on? What's happening with that? Uh, yeah. So the Stanford Inn Resort is a, um, have you ever been there? Cause it's literally like two minute drive North of little river. No, I haven't uh, okay. actually. Yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, yeah. So you should come next time you're up and let me know, obviously, because I'd like to meet you in person, but, um, the, the, it's on the corner of the Pacific ocean and the big river. And it's a it's a resort. So there's a full, you know, there's an indoor pool and there's, you know, beautiful rooms with decks and there's canoeing and biking. But there's also a wellness center. And um, and so I am the wellness programs director there. Uh, Joan and Jeff Stanford have owned it for 40 years there. Uh, Joan's a, a registered uh, art therapist. So she does creative play shops. I teach uh, nutrition and cooking. Jeff Stanford does meditation courses and some um, spiritual counseling. And we also have gardening classes because we have an organic farm on the land. We have, you know, full massage menu when 
pre-COVID, and when we're through this thing finally, we will <laughs> resume to that. Um, wow, have, that's yeah, a, we, that sounds like a dream. Like I'm like all great. about. I've been to 1440 and most fabulous places, um, you know, in California. Although I haven't been to Esalon yet. Yeah. But that, but that sounds really spectacular and right up my alley as a psychotherapist meditator. <laughs> yeah, it, it's pretty cool. I will say this. It's not like the, it's going to sound weird. It's not like those places. And here's why it is a resort. So it is a place people come for vacation. It yes. is not a, it is not a, I go here for courses, but when people come for vacation and they're just hanging out and having a glass of wine on their deck, they might go, you know, we should take a cooking class. We should take a nutrition and healthy living class. Like we should take a creative play shot. You know, there's things that you can do, but it is not the, like 1440 is you go there and SLN, you go there for the, the, the wellness experience. We take a more holistic view of that. We take a more like a, it's a vacation for fun. And then there's also some things that are nourishing for the soul as well. And so, but it's not the, wow. main, not the main priority of the inn. It's a very weird resort. It's a, it's a one of a kind. I mean, it is actually one of a kind. There's nothing like it around. Um, but yeah, it is a vacation spot. I mean, most people who come, Still, are there's there to eat good food and have a cocktail and freaking swim and go in the ocean, you know. But then there's wow. other people. Yeah, but there's other people who want to do a series of courses or or retreats, and that's where I step in and say, okay, well, let me organize a a retreat for you, a personal retreat for you, and and here's your itinerary, and then kind of work on that level of things. Wow, this is super cool. I, I I'm I cannot believe I've not heard about this before, <laughs> um, especially with Little River being like you know one of my like favorite little places to go. I'm actually getting my pilot's license right now. Oh, no way. Oh, and so there's the airport. Right up my the first experience with Little River was uh, a bit of an emergency landing. Oh, no. Oh, no. That's yes. how you landed in Little River. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there's a little restaurant down there that's got some really fabulous uh, oysters with champagne mignette. <laughs> is, that, is that wild fish or? Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, that, that airport, it's funny. A few times, we have a few um, guests at the inn who fly their planes to Little River and we pick them up. So wow, they, they, yeah, that's they, park, fabulous. they park there, they, they fly up the weekend and we park, we, we pick them up and drive them back to the resort. It's, that's pretty, that's pretty cool that you're doing that. My dad was a pilot my whole, my whole life. My dad was a pilot. So he, so I'm, I'm a, I'm a pilot's kid. Really? What did he fly? Do you know? Yeah, he flew, um, he was, well, he was in the air force for a while. So okay. he flew, uh, F-102s, but then he went, he worked for Continental Airlines for 27 years. So he was wow. a DC, DC 10 and 727 captain. Wow, that's yeah. fantastic! And you, you, you came out of the airline industry unscathed with no pilot's license. I know. I, I <laughs> flirted with it for a while, but then I it it, it didn't take, as they say. But yeah, it, it didn't take. But yeah, I was I was the kid who was like never paid for a plane ticket until I was like 24. I was always on standby waiting for an open seat, and I hated it because you'd get you know you sometimes you'd show up at the airport and not get on an airplane. When I first flew my first flight where I, it was a paid ticket, it was like, oh, this is awesome. You go on and you just sit down and nobody bothers you. And it's like, this is freedom, <laughs> you know? Um, wow. Yeah, yeah, I was like that kid for my whole life. That's so cool. I'm learning in a, uh, I think it's a 1947. I think I have the year right, but it's a, a Piper Super Cruiser. Okay. So yeah, joystick and the whole Good nine. It's you. so fun. So excellent. Yeah, that is <laughs> yeah. excellent. Yeah. The tail cool. wheel, though, is a little bit of a trouble. <laughs> I got to figure out my feet. Yeah. Well, listen, it's it's been so fabulous chatting with you today. Can you uh, tell the listeners how they can get a hold of you and learn more about your your inn and what else you've got going on? 
Sure. So um, the the my main website sidgarzahillman.com. Um, I quit all social media in 2018, but I um, I do post on YouTube. But I and I have a podcast, What Sid Thinks. So you can um, go to sidgarzahillman.com. That's all there. Um, I do run an online program called smallsteppers.com. There's a free six part video series people can check out if they go to smallsteppers.com. And I also do a, an intensive for people who want a little more one on one. And it's, and the website there is smallstepintensive.com. Smallstepintensive.com. And so those are the three main places and then of course the Stanford Inn is stanfordin.com and you can find me there and Jeff and Joan and the whole crew and we're having a lot of fun up there too. It sounds like it. I'm definitely going to have to make the trek. Uh, well, listen, we'll always put all of this information in the show notes for those of you that might be listening in your car as most of us do. And uh, it was great chatting with you, Sid. I really appreciate that. So nice chatting with you too. And again, thanks for having me on. I really appreciate it and appreciate what you're doing. We'll chat soon. That's good. This has been a BU Find Happy podcast. For more inspiration, check out the links.